Hello everyone and welcome to The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. And I'm Bailey Merzik, also with the Department of Communication. Today we're going to discuss biomedical sciences education and the resources available that are improving the way we learn and teach at Michigan Medicine. Now before we get into that, be sure you educate yourself by getting caught up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. Episodes are also on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel and are included as part of the headlines we can review. With that, let's bring in Dr. Michael Horch. First, Dr. Horch, can you explain your role here at Michigan Medicine? Hello, um, I'm Michael Horch. I'm professor in the Department of Cell and Developmental Biology with a cross appointment of learning health sciences, which actually right now is my main uh, focus is actually in biomedical uh, education. But originally, I am actually a bench scientist. I wanted to be a scientist for a long time and um, have that been most of my career um, until about 13 years ago when I had an opportunity to switch career um, to mainly education and uh, also research into uh, education, how our students learn and to create new, hopefully better uh, educational resources. I think that's great. I'm glad that you outlined your career because we're going to touch on both sides of your career as we go through this conversation. And I think that it'll provide a lot of insight. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you first get into science and you know, more specifically, biomedical science? Well, that was not a straight path. It was more a meandering path. And um, first, I should say that I was born and grew up in a smaller city, in which was at that time West Germany. And I remember as a little boy, maybe primary school age, um, that at a, a holiday party, I got a booklet about the um, the planetary system and that triggered something in me. And I actually this morning got to the bookshelf and I found that book. Of course it's in German, but um, it triggered my interest in science. And initially it was astronomy. And when I was in the high school equivalent in, in Germany, it meandered from the very big to the very small, how atoms are structured and, and subatomic particles. I was fascinated for a while. So biology in the end, before I, I, I started university, was sort of a, a compromise because you have both um, chemical and, 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 and atomic aspects structures as well as well you can see living animals and 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 uh so um i finished then um university education um at the free university in which was west berlin at the time um and the degree is most similar to uh, a master degree here in the us system so it included also some research work which I uh, spent one and a half years instead of half a year 
at the Weizmann Institute in Israel uh, before returning to Germany for my uh, PhD work, which I did at an international research institute uh, near Heidelberg. Um, and then I came here for the postdoc, which is the usual bench scientist uh, career. Um, and uh, was working for, have been working for four years at UC Berkeley on uh, developmental neuroscience, uh, mainly using uh, Drosophila as an experimental system and applying my cell biology background. And then in 1991, I started here at the University of Michigan as a faculty member uh, on the tenure track and for 20 years, continued bench research. Um, so my, my, my switch to educational science is only a small portion of my uh, career. So you switched um, careers 13 years ago. So how and why um, did you make this switch from a bench scientist to an educator, um, an educational researcher? Well, I, from today's viewpoint, I don't see it as big a switch as it might sound to many of you. Um, because when I came here, I had to uh, do teaching as well, besides my bench research. So in 91, when I came here, half of my department was teaching histology. And that's what I'm still doing today. Um, but instead of half the department, histology teaching here uh, at the University of Michigan is a one-man show, and you're looking at him. So a lot of things have changed. Um, I actually have a little paper I published three years ago about, about this switch from bench research to educational research, and my conclusion is a lot of the things that are important for a bench researcher, an experimental researcher, is not that much different in the other realm. So I still do experiment and ask question. Um, how do students learn instead of how does that protein work? Um, so I, I see it more similar than dissimilar of what I'm doing now. Um, so I, in a way, say I never looked back when I uh, gave up my bench research lab. Um, I'm just doing different, a little bit different kind of research. Yeah, I, I think that that's amazing. And obviously it's led to a successful career. I know you've brought home some major teaching awards, including a Henry Gray Distinguished Educator Award. What would you say is sort of the secret to your success as an educator? And what keeps you motivated to keep improving your craft? If I have to distill it down to one word, it's curiosity. I want to know how things work. I think that's why from being a, a kid, I wanted to be a scientist, to understand how nature works and, 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 and dig into how different things work together. Um, and it didn't really matter too much at what level at, at that time. Um, and I think in terms of being a scientist and an educator, these are, for me, two sides of the same coin. We cannot be a learner 
unless we are also teaching. And when we do research, we learn from nature, um, from our experiments, from the data we receive. And um, it's part of it is communicating that knowledge to others. And that is to me as exciting as really getting it myself. And maybe one of the secrets that I have, students often write, oh, histology is a very boring field, but he is excited about it. So that- I always uh, say, as long as you're excited about it, you probably will pass on that excitement, right? And And I think that that we've seen that in podcasts that we've done before. The topic itself might seem boring, but the people behind it are fascinating and they make it interesting. And and so being enthusiastic about what you teach and, and in a way without saying it, oh, this is really important. Isn't it fascinating? Um, I think that gets attention. It's infectious. So throughout your teaching career, um, what prompted you to develop new teaching resources and which ones which ones have you come up with throughout your career in teaching? So um, as I mentioned, I am uh, the only histology teacher left at the University of Michigan here in Ann Arbor. And um, that field has actually undergone, has always be based on technology. About 200 years ago, that was the light microscope, mainly, later electron microscopy. And about 30 years ago, there was a major switch how that is being taught. I see histology as the original form of cell biology. And cell biology, that's what I was educated uh, in, um, is the modern form. So uh, science is also evolving. And uh, histology is based really on technology. These days, we are not giving our students light microscopes and glass lights anymore, but it's online called virtual microscopy. And there is a great uh, website run by the University of Michigan that has a couple of hundred virtual slides. Uh, you can imagine that as uh, Google Earth. You can zoom down to your house and view it from above. Instead of the global scale, you do the same on a microscopic scale. And you can zoom in and look at a specific cell and understand how different cells work together to form our organs and thereby performing functions. So that is a technological difference that has evolved over the last 20 and is still developing. And it's more and more used by my pathology colleagues as well in the diagnostic of patients. So I was always exposed to new technology in, in that area. And then their needs. Um, and our students um, are more and more, they, there's less and less time to teach them more and more. So how can we make teaching more efficient? And 
that was a learning pro always a learning process on my side. So my most uh, popular tool, uh, you can ask any medical or dental student here in Ann Arbor, uh, they will tell you, give you the same answer, is called Second Look. And it's a series of mobile apps that are a review tool for uh, students, not only in histology now, there are other topics as well, including clinical topics. And that can be downloaded for free from the iTunes store or Google Play. And originally, the original idea, what I wanted to do with it was a complete failure. What I wanted to do with it is getting my students to look at the web, Michigan Histology website, look at more virtual slides. Later, a student wrote down, oh, I was not going to the virtual slides because I had second look for what I wanted to do. Here is where I, from being a teacher, turned into a learner. Oh, you're using that as a review tool. Hmm, I didn't think of that, but it's a great idea. So I learned how what our students needed, how they work with the resources that, or resource that I offered to them, and that, made me the learner. Um, so in a lot of my developments, I'm using that attitude. Um, it is not the tool itself that is very often important. Equally important, it is to understand how our students use that tool or not use the tool. Yeah, is it almost like Cliff's Notes is a great tool, but then students just started using it instead of reading the book itself. They just started looking at the Cliff Notes. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't quite as good as or as successful as we wanted it to be. Most of the resources that we're offering, I do not believe any resource does everything. Learning for me is a process of multiple steps. Unless you say memorizing something is learning, hmm, that's lower level learning. But if you really want to trigger um, higher level learning, it's a multi-phasic step. And the different resources will work in different ways for different steps, never for all steps. There's a famous quote by Albert Einstein who uh, said that education is not the learning of facts, but the training of a mind to think. And that is higher level. Of course, I always tell my students, knowing a lot of facts is good, but it's just the starting point. Yeah. So let's let's elaborate real quick to, before you go. Um, you know, how do you know whether a learning resource is successful or getting the job done. And to take that even a step further beyond that, where does sort of the human factor come in? The human factor is very, very important because you may have the most sophisticated learning resource. If it's not used, if it's too complicated or inconvenient, 
students will not use it. And I have little research projects that I, I published in medical education papers that show that students have their goals. Getting an MD for, for a medical student's uh, student or a PhD for a graduate student. And they are very opportunistic. What does, how do I get there in the best way, easiest way possible? So we have to understand how they use that. We have to ask them, how do you use it? And uh, many years ago, I had a Michigan medical student, a very insightful young woman who told me, how we learn may not always be good for us. So by making choices, human choices, um, it may not be always the best way. So a little guidance is also good. But ask the students, how do you use it? What is it useful for? Or when I hear, even if I don't ask, oh, second look, the mobile app was really helpful for reviewing the material. And I said, huh, that's what they use it for. And that's what it is helpful. Or when students are coming and saying, oh, we need more second look apps. Wouldn't it be great? Just two days ago, I had a student coming to me. Oh, we need one for pathology. Um, that tells me, yep, there is a need um, for such resources. But again, no resource does, does everything, but it has to fit into the learning process. Yeah, thank you so much for, for everything you shared today here on The Wrap and for your, your awesome insight about and talking about your accomplished career here um, at Michigan and then um, before coming to Michigan. So um, we have a little bit more for you to do. Your work is not quite done yet. It is time for the lightning round where we ask our guests four quick fire questions so that we can get to know them better. Are you ready to go? All right. So if you weren't work, yeah, if you weren't working as a scientist or an educator, what would be your dream job? Um, I have more than one. The things that would um what I found fascinating is writing traveling books and visiting the world. It's also a couple uh thing of, of learning. Or becoming an archaeologist sounds very interesting to me. So I have a lot of options that could fill a few more lifetimes. I was going to say, who knows what the next 13 years will hold, right? <laughs> so it is National Volunteer Week. Have you or your family spent time volunteering at all? So um, I have, for example, volunteers for uh, food gatherers for a while, um, a while ago. Um, so and... Our medical students have a lot of interesting volunteer opportunities as well uh, when they have tag days. Um, so helping, helping others to help is also a, a very good volunteer job that I enjoy. That's awesome. All right, I'm fascinated to hear your answer to this one. Next week is National Superheroes Day. What superpower would you wanna have? Um, you may have talked to um, uh, some of our my students. 
Okay, I'll give it away. Um, I already have an altered ego called Neuron Man. Wait a second. I have no idea what is about to happen. Oh, you really do. <laughs> For those who are just listening to the audio-only version, there is actually a picture of Michael as Neuron Man. That is, and uh, I don't know what you're doing with it, but that is incredible. It is. Well, you have to sign up for one of my courses. <laughs> uh, if I may throw in some advertisement. Um, uh, so, um, yes, and I always have a T-shirt that maybe not a super, always a superhero T-shirt for a different T-shirt for all of my lectures. Yeah, that was good. And we were not even thinking, you know, like that you had something like that. And it was the question worked out perfect. Okay, so since you are a teacher, um, you've probably read many books throughout your career, um, whether as a teacher or before becoming a teacher, um, whether you want to or not, I'm sure you've read a lot. So what would you say is your all time favorite book? Um, that's actually one that I read many, many years ago. I love, uh, and I give you the German title, Glass Perlenspiel by Hermann Hesse. I think in the English title is the, the Glass Pearl Game, um, which is quite a volume, but of course I read it in, in German. And I find it fascinating. One of my favorite poems is actually part of that is called Steps. Um, because I the, the game is never explained in the book. Um, and for me, it is the game of life. How we go through different phases of life and, and also learn from youth to getting old. And, and uh, uh, that's also in the poem, step for step, going from one room of life to the next room of life. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for a very insightful and fascinating conversation uh, and for joining us today on The Wrap. Uh, I, I just loved every part of that. So thank you so much for, for taking the time out. Now, as we mentioned, The Wrap is always included in the headlines we can review. Now, this week at Headlines, other things that will be in the week in review will include a feature on National Volunteer Week, as we previously talked about, and a closer look at rounding being carried out by the Michigan leadership team. You can find those stories and much, much more at mmheadlines.org. Okay, Dan. So the theme of today's show has been teaching and education. So did you have a favorite teacher as you were growing up? I did. Um, yeah, I, it feels like a long time ago when I was taking classes. So I will, uh, I will say that. But I have two teachers that really stood out to me. Uh, one was just an English teacher that I had uh, in high school, uh, Patricia Martin, Mrs. Martin. She was amazing. And she let you sort of feel like no matter what you were taking out of the books you were reading or the papers you were writing was valid, you know, where it was a different experience for everyone as opposed to, oh, you had to see the imagery there. You had to, you know, and, and sometimes you just don't see the imagery and it just means something different to different people. And I think she found that to be something that was fascinating with literature. So I love that. And then my um, my other favorite teacher, um, his name was Pete Bowers, Mr. Bowers. Um, he was my actually radio teacher. We had a radio station at my high school growing up. Um, and I loved radio. 
Um, I love broadcasting. One of the reasons I like doing this podcast every week um, and wanted to do it for my career. And, and part of that was thanks to the influence that he had. Um, you know, he he perfectly married the idea of professionalism and fun, that you could have fun doing something, but you can make it professional. You can make it your career. Um, you can take it seriously, but it doesn't have to be boring if you take it seriously. Sort of like Michael with the t-shirts, right? At every, well, it doesn't mean he's not a professional, you know, educator, but he can make it a little bit fun. And I think that that's really cool. And that was something I really took away from, from him. So what about you, Bailey? I know you were, uh, you know, back in college, what, a whole year ago? Um, have you had have you had some teachers growing up? Yeah, so I had a good professor um, also in radio and TV, um, Dr. Steve Sheehan. He was amazing and he was also very fun and let us be very creative um, with everything that we did, all of our projects. Um, so I've, I owe a lot of my success in um, everything to him. And then um, throwing it back a little bit, I had a teacher that taught me in fifth grade, Mrs. Simone, and she then she um, ended up coming up to the high school level to teach French um, because she was French Canadian. So I had her for French and I became somewhat fluid in French, not great, but um, I was, I was decent, but I haven't, I would like to uh, pick French up again because of her. For sure. But, That's right. about all I know. <laughs> Je m'appelle Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's time for the weekly trivia contest. This week's question is, when did Michigan medicine first bring volunteers into its hospitals? Once again, when did Michigan Medicine first bring volunteers into its hospitals? You can find the answer in headlines, and once you know it, send it to headlines at med.umich.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, Michael, so much for joining us, and thanks, as always, to our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.